Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Consciousness Explorers podcast, the pod that's all about mind-body adventuring. Every episode, we experiment with a different mind-body technique from meditation to psychotherapy, energy to art, dreaming, waking, and everything in between to see what's really going on inside us when we take these inward trips. What do they tell us about who we are, where we can go, and who we can become? So we're your hosts. I'm Tasha Schumann, and we got Jeff Warren. Hello. I'm Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and we're super stoked to have you along for the ride. So today we're talking to Jennifer Dumpert, a San Francisco-based writer, lecturer, and consciousness hacker. She's the author of Liminal Dreaming, Exploring Consciousness at the Edges of Sleep. So I'll just say personally, Jennifer has been a friend for almost 15 years now. She was a fan of my book, The Head Trip. That's how we got to know each other. And then it's just been an ongoing conversation that we've had about dreaming, what dreaming is, and how to explore these different states. So I found this conversation to be an absolute joy, not least because Tasha also is a massive dream nerd. So the three of us had a lot of fun getting into, you know, what is this thing called imagination? What is the value of this kind of way of thinking, this form of perception, which she talks about? So we really got to go in a lot of fun directions here. Yes. And I absolutely loved the meditation that she led us on, which is her own spin on a yoga nidra, which left me totally just buzzing. I loved it. I guess that's our introduction to Jennifer, Jennifer Dumpert and her book, Liminal Dreaming and our exploration. Welcome, Jennifer. Pleasure to be here indeed. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and give us a little glimpse of what we might do, but then, then you can just uh, lead us into the practice. Sure. I have been working with liminal dreaming, so with the dream states that lie between waking and sleep, hypnagogia when you're falling asleep, hypnopompnia when you're waking up. So I've, I've learned a lot of meditations to bring myself into those states when I was writing the book. And even before then, it's sort of what moved me to write the book. And then I started studying yoga nidra, which is a practice like many forms of yoga that has its roots in ancient texts, although the way that it's practiced today really comes from the 60s and 70s. So I studied a lot of yoga nidra, got certified in the iRest tradition and in the yoga nidra network tradition. And so my, my own meditations are a combination of yoga nidra methods, and then the meditations I came up with myself to bring myself into a deep hypnagogic state. Awesome. Should we say a little bit about the hypnagogic state or liminal dreaming? Just a few general things about kind of what this is and what people might expect there? Or... Yeah, sure. Just for the com complete noobs who absolutely wouldn't know what that word even means. So hypnagogia comes from the Greek hypnos, sleep, and agagos, going toward. And it's that state between waking and sleep as you're falling asleep when you have both conscious mind and yet access to dream space. And we all go through this every 24 hours when your leg jerks or your arm twitches, you know that you're in hypnagogia. Often people see faces turning toward them or the deeper you go in, the more they become kind of narrative dream structure. Although they're often non-narrative, free associative, swirling, kaleidoscopic tours through your own imagery, memories, associations. And hypnopompnia is on the other end. Hypnopompnia is hypnos again and pompe going away from like pomp and circumstance. And that's in the morning, that really soft drift. Maybe you feel like you're awake and you're having a thought and then you realize, oh, actually, no, this is still a dream. And you might float back and forth between waking and sleep. Overall, that's a high level view of what these states are. Together, I call them liminal dreaming. And this is our destination <laughs> in this podcast episode. We'll be adventurers. Prepare yourself for a deep dive, a spelunk into the liminal dreaming space. Would you recommend that we lay down for this practice? I absolutely would recommend that you lay down somewhere where you can hear me. All right. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to hope I don't fall asleep in the middle of recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> If I do, someone just yell at me really loud. Usually, if even if people fall asleep, um, they come back again. It's amazing because you still do have some waking mind. It's always amazing when I do these sessions where people are like, "Wow, I don't, I don't feel like I heard anything that you said, but I heard immediately when you said to come back." So definitely lie down if you can. If that's not possible, you can lean back 
in your chair and try to get as comfortable as possible. But if you can lie down or recline, that's better. And as you're, as you're lying or reclining, feel everywhere where your body touches the surface on which you're lying. Become aware of whatever is beneath you, supporting you. Allow everything to sink against the surface. Allow yourself to be held by the surface. And now, imagine a star softly glowing in each place of your body as I mention it. Or just let my voice wash over you and drift. This is your practice. There's nothing you need to do. Imagine a glowing star at the crown of your head. A star in each of your eyes, in your ears. A star in your nose and a star in your mouth. Your whole head, a sky of glittering stars. Put a star on your throat, a star on your heart. Glowing star on your right shoulder. One on your elbow. A star at the wrist and a star on your palm and a star in each of your fingers. One, two, three, four, five. Place a glittering star on your left shoulder. A star at the elbow, a star at the wrist, a star at the palm, and a star at the end of each of the fingertips of your left hand. One, two, three, four. Both arms a glowing galaxy of stars. Put a star at your heart and a star in your belly, a star at the groin, a star on the lower back, a star. In your upper back, whole torso, a glowing universe of stars. Put a star on your right hip, a star at your thigh, a star on your left right knee, a star at the ankle. Put a glittering star on top of your foot and a star in each toe. One, two, three, four, five. Put a glowing star on your left hip. Star on the thigh and a star in the knee. 
put a glittering star at the ankle. Place one at the top of the foot. Put a glowing star at the end of each toe. One, two, three, four, five, both legs, your whole body, a universe of stars. As you inhale, let the incoming breath create spaces between all the little stars. Like the vast space between stars out in the cosmos. With each breath you take in, a little space opens up between each star and its neighbor. Space inside you expands as the stars spread out across the heavens of the skies inside you. Feel stars spreading out until you hold constellations inside you. Galaxies of twinkling stars in the night sky of your inner universe. And now breathe out all of your waking energy. Let this exhale relax your body and mind. Breathe in gently. Keeping your mind soft. Breathe out. Relax. Let the exhale help you sink further down toward unconsciousness. Maintaining a glimmer of waking mind there amongst the stars of the skies inside of you. Breathe in softly. Exhale out all of your waking energy. And now see if anything arises, an image, a sound, a memory, breathe that in. And now exhale your waking energy and allow it to animate whatever forms in your mind. Maybe it's your imagination. Maybe it's more like a dream. Inhale whatever is arising for you. Exhale out your waking energy. Inhale. Exhale. Imagine being in a clearing in a forest and waiting for something to come. Inhale, 
whatever arises into the starry cosmos of your mind. Exhale your waking energy. Let whatever it is expand, soften your mind, breathe in the dream. Now, just for a moment, for 45 seconds, I'm going to leave you just to drift in this space. Now feel your waking mind begin to come back online. Wiggle fingers and toes. Give your body a little shake. And then as soon as you're ready, come back into waking consciousness. If you're listening to this podcast, please feel free to continue lying down, letting our voices wash in and out as you may. I'm the only speaker I know who likes when people sleep through my talks. This practice is finished. And I hope that you enjoyed it. <laughs> Come back here. Whoa. <laughs> I this, didn't this, fall this, asleep. I'm so excited. Congratulations. <laughs> Did you drift? Oh, yeah. Good. This was awesome. Can I offer a report? Because I'm curious for... Yeah. Please. There's a, f a few questions came up for me. Uh, I mean, I, this space is one I, I'm familiar with. I actually have guided... You know, we've done workshops and kind of setting people up into kind of lucid dreaming territory or hypnagogia stuff. And I encountered some of the things that I usually encounter to. So I encountered, I'm excited to kind of get an expert view here. Um, so I first there was the scramble to find a good place to lay down. <laughs> and then um, as I did, I found a good spot and I could feel myself start to relax. And I'm in a situation where the, I had a lot of energy going into it. So I knew it was going to be near impossible for me to totally drift off, if at all. And that's something I often find myself in. I have a lot of energy, you know, it's related to the bipolar thing. And, and as I was going, actually, one of the strongest, the, the first things that happened was my whole body filled with this sense of energy. I found the star induction really powerful. And I could feel this vibrating through my whole body, very charged. And I could still hear the sound of my son upstairs and my wife feeding him. And, you know, so sound, I was aware of sounds in the environment, but this very vivid kind of, uh, so I'm very vividly awake. And yet this thing is coming up underneath me in my body, this very strong sort of energy. And as I kind of got deeper into it, I started realizing, that, oh, this is a hypnotic induction because this is also familiar to me from both sleep mm -hmm. onset and hypnosis. So that's a whole thing we can explore around the hypnotic side of this. But, and then I would go in and then it's sort of like you're in this place where I 
I'm right in between. And I can see the images beginning and you know, I had images of birds. And I don't know if they were primed from having done some reading in your book about the eagle that you were talking about. Mm. And, and, and I kind of went to this place that's very familiar to me, sort of this clearing um, that often I go to when I meditate of just sort of waiting and observing. And, and so there's flickers of imagery, but I wasn't totally surrendered to it. I knew if I were down more, there'd be more imagery. I'd be able to follow the tendrils of sort of absurdity, the kind of associations. Mm -hmm. But I was still on the near side of this, the waking side of this. And so I guess I, I, one of my thoughts was, I mean, it seems like every place you go is interesting and valuable. And um, I could easily imagine having gone down further, but I imagine many people will have been like me that didn't fall asleep and yet maybe began to slip into some kind of dreamlike stuff. And so you really are in this mix between the two. And um, anyway, then, then it sort of came to an end. But so, th so there's a question around how far do you have to kind of go in uh, for it to kind of be doing what you were intended? And the other thing was about the body energy, uh, how if you've heard that before and what to do with that. Um, and that it thus ends my report. And I recognize <laughs> that Tasha has a report too that she may want to say more as well. Yeah, I felt for me, it was like I had the surge of energy as well. And it went directly to my extremities. I felt very, very relaxed through like the whole middle of my body and my hands kind of came alive. So I was like mm. laying there very, very spacious. Like, you know, the, you know, you kept on bringing us to kind of the imagery of being like a galaxy and my breath kind of felt like cosmic wind blowing through a galaxy. And my hands were just like these alive little spaces. So I felt like staying with those made, it kind of kept me much more spacious where I think sometimes, you know, if you gather your attention towards the core, like in the heart, sometimes we do meditations there or, you know, in the third eye or something, it has a unifying effect. It kind of like pinpoints your attention. Whereas having my my sense of self being these two disparate parts, like these two hands was very, like it was just so much space. So, and then everything you were saying was just kind of planting seeds in that space. And then um, I loved it when you started humming. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a musician, but anytime that there is music involved in a meditation, I'm so surprised and very happy. But I found it was, it's just so primal. It felt like when you're a baby and your mom's kind of absentmindedly humming to you and it's just that lull is, super safe space, you know, or just, Oh, I love that. Yeah. So for, you know, for me, it was like, um, I do a lot of sitting meditation and I find there the, the challenge is bringing my energy downwards. Right. So it's kind of the struggle against the cogitating mind or like conceptualizing mind. And this way it was kind of like, I was bringing my energy upward. Like I very easily relaxed into it. And then I was like, let me just rise up a little bit to nestle into the sound and the energy in my body and the energy of your humming was was very wave-like so I started getting these images of being on a boat and rocking gently on waves and I was trying to like look is that is the image of the waves and the boat is it like a visual image in my mind or is it like a physical kind of wobbling and it was a little bit of both so I was in this very in-betweeny spot that was oh yeah you got yeah. you got to the space man. <laughs> yeah sure. synesthetic good. remixing yeah <laughs> yeah it was really good um yeah that's beautiful I, I love those to both respond to what you're saying tasha and answer one of your questions jeff there definitely are different levels of it and one of the few people who's written extensively on hypnagogy or hypnagogy, both are correct. I say one just says the other, but they're both correct, mm -hmm. is um, Mavramidis, uh, who wrote in the 80s. And he has his four stages of hypnagogia. But in my explorations, I also have found four stages of it, but mine are actually different. I mean, experientially, mm. you know, at the lightest level, when I'm a little bit more awake, because you can be 20% awake and 80% asleep or the other way or 50-50, you know? So when we, kind of like 80% awake and 20% asleep is like full, um, like full waking energy is there, but I'm just a little bit in dream space. Uh, and, I, and I found this one at the opera. I was at a not that good production of Carmen <laughs> with, um, with my in-laws and, um, 
And I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm just going to drift into hypnagogia, but I also wanted to, you know, track what was happening. I just so love I, that I, when you can be like, oh, I'm just drifting into hypnagogia. It sounds so much kinder than being like, this play is putting me to sleep. Like, this sucks. <laughs> an amazing well, I mean, strategy I, for all in-laws. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just experimenting with some hypnagogia. I'll be right back in a moment. I'm, I'm working. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I, and I realized that I could, I could slip in, but I could track the music. And every time the music changed, I knew that there would be like a new, new, like words on the mm. super, because you're reading the supertitles and I, I open my eyes, I would read the words and then I would go back in. And in that space, um, it's very much, um, it's very much access to memory, like access to childhood memory. Mm-hmm. I've had amazing memories from my childhood with these practices, like, you know, and super full sensory, like the public pool. You know, where we used to go as kids and mine and my sister's bathing suits and the smell of the chlorine and what the lockers looked like. And I mean, like full snake riding in our writing, my sister pulling me in the wagon when we're kids, just whatever, these full sensory memories. The Proustian movement back into memory. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, actually, the first paragraph of Remembrance of Things Times is a hypnagogic dream. Before the Madman, it's a hypnagogic dream. And then I can go like a level deeper when I'm still a little bit more awake than asleep maybe 60, 40. And um, because I can um, touch type, uh, I can sit back with my computer in my lap and do a kind of a form of automatic writing. And then like, tr- like write actually what's happening. And I'm actually, oh, I'm actually going to read that. one. I'm going to read one of these to you just because it's, it really gives you like both the sense of like what's happening in my mind and being able to hear what's outside. Okay. So here's one of those. Speared asparagus cooking class. Two Christmas tree angels hold hands, mostly awake, but the dream gets deeper in the mouths of the little sea creatures wiggling at the bottom of my field of perception, though there's no edge. Greet and pink, a set of cat ears in the very far distance. My upstairs neighbors yell, maybe a sporting event. The sound ricochets. The word ricochet. How do I spell that? Seems like it has a CH, but not. Craze and hussy, crazier, a pulsating light off to the right. So that's just me tracking, mm-hmm. you know. And then getting deeper that. is when I get like the free associative images, like that. I was talking about that kaleidoscopic swirl of memories, dreams, association. The guns. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And there's a lot of those, um, there's some of those in my book of, of what those dreams are. And then at the very, very deepest, point of it there's actually a place when your body can fall asleep and your mind is still awake absolutely mm-hmm. yeah jeff i know you know this jeff and i have been having these conversations for so long <laughs> i love that actually well i mean he's the one who put me on your book that's why i was like just gobble up all dream material i was like what there's a book about liminal dreaming <laughs> i haven't read yet yeah i love it so yeah so different stages you know i mean and people go to very different places during these meditations during their own work for sure well that's Mm. the you know i want to since we went and did those stages if we could just maybe return for a moment to that stage four there this is something i find this place to be very productive around teaching people about lucid dreaming Mm -hmm. even though it's a very tricky place this is what laberge would say is you're kind of this is a where potentially you can awake induced lucid dreams you could go you could kind of go directly from uh, waking into a dream while holding, keeping the tether of that sort of waking consciousness. And, and I'd be curious about how, what you found there, but what I've found that works here, and it's so tricky, it's such a delicate, it's kind of like you're balancing on the head of a pin, that it's all about the equanimity. That if I have any struggle, if I create any resistance, any ripple in the field, then I'll disrupt the effect. I have to be completely frictionless. So I stay awake with no agenda other than just stay awake, but no gripping. And if I can kind of keep it utterly, utterly like in that total smooth, delicate mode, then sometimes I can just, I can, it's like the dream starts to emerge all around me. And that thing I'm thinking about becomes now a scene that I'm inside. And I keep that, tether but i think i've literally only been able to do that maybe a half a dozen times in my life you know i've had other near misses yeah a trick that i use in that stage when i feel like okay my body has finally fallen asleep and like you said jeff your mind is in this totally equanimous place and i just as if i'm 
mentally already sleeping, you know, if you're in bed and you're just changing positions, if you would just like roll over to your side, it feels like I'm rolling out of my body, if that makes any sense. Like my oh, body wow. is asleep and I'll just take a mental roll to the left in my bed. And it's like I roll into a dream. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. But it's really hard. Sometimes I actually physically roll and then I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Off the bed. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. It's they, happened before. I have like a scar on my eyebrow from doing that. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. The um, hazards of nighttime experimentation. <laughs> no kidding. Jeez. Um, yeah. I, uh, um, you know, the most traditional lucid dreamers, the Tibetan Buddhists, uh, do say that the, the first step is learning facility with hypnagogia is learning to be able to find yourself in hypnagogia and linger there. You know, and of course, with as with all practices, if you do it and pay attention to it, um, you'll get way better at it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's really great and easy as a practice because we all naturally mm -hmm. do it. Like I say, it's, you know, externally, it's an EEG state. We all go through it every 24 hours, at least once, you know, and so it's, it's a very easy practice because really all it is 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 pausing and looking around and being like, oh, wait, this is a place. I mean, most of us think of it as a on the way. It's like between spot, yeah. you know, but to actually be like, oh, no, actually, this is in and of itself a destination. This is a place where I can stop and have that experience. And then you learn to have that equanimity, like you said, Tasha, where you're in the space where you can really ride it. I mean, I'm not quite as on top of it as I was right when I was writing the book for the year after when I was touring, when I was really spending a lot of time in hypnagogia, mm -hmm. but I still can go, go in pretty much at will. And I can stay there for 45 minutes or an hour. I mean, I can really, I can really hang in the space. And then from there, yeah, the access to the lucid dream space, like the wild method, uh, waking induced lucid dream, which you can find in my book or online. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, where in the hypnagogic state, you uh, either remember a dream or you have a strong ability to visualize the dream space where you want to go. And then you just sort of slide into that space mm -hmm. from the hypnagogia. Hmm. I just really love that you're like the first person that I've met who really puts the emphasis on hypnagogia and not just as yeah. a passing through state. Because exactly. it's like, especially if you're like, I'm a kind of person that really likes, I love subtlety. Like I love, mm -hmm. you know, the, there's so much to learn in subtlety. And I think sometimes in the dream, symbols are kind of whacking you over the head. You know, <laughs> it's like this, this banana stands for a penis or something like that. You know, it's very <laughs> obvious. <laughs> Whereas in hypnagogia, you have to kind of like piece it together or like wait for the meaning to rise up to you kind of. And yeah, a lot, totally. not a lot of people talk about that. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, that's a good bridge, actually, into, I mean, we could have a fascinating discussion on lucid dreaming, but staying right here in this liminal dream space, what are some of the ways that people, you know, use the space? What are some of the, what have you learned about that space? Oh, so much. You know, a lot of what I'm doing is really just consciousness exploration. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, you know, one of the- Word. One of the yeah, Holy man, right? <laughs> That's what we're here for. Oh, yeah, we're into that. Yeah, yeah, sort of, sort of. We should name a podcast after that or something. <laughs> I mean, and that's, I mean, and, and that's, that's, you know, you'll see that phrase over and over again in, in my book as well. You know, I mean, that's, you know, for me, that's really, you know, where, where the fascination is. And, you know, I mean, even REM dreams, even the dreams we have, you know, where, where you know, with the banana, et cetera, um, <laughs> are, um, those are much more like waking life, right? You're still a subject moving through an objective world, having experiences, except, you know, whatever, you might be with a bunch of squirrels on Mars, but, you know, <laughs> it, but you believe it at the time, right? Yeah. You find mm -hmm. it credible. Um, and so it's much more like waking experience, but liminal dreaming is just totally different. It's a totally different experience. And it's one it's of the, so true. yeah, you know, it's like the same reason that people meditate or take drugs or, you know, sit in sweat lodges or, or, you know, fast or, or whatever, trying to get to these, um, extraordinary, you know, outside of ordinary states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And this is like the easiest, most available mm -hmm you know, free hangover lists, you know, legal <laughs> way of, of going into these states. So, I mean, just that in of itself is, mm -hmm. uh, is wonderful. But then there's all sorts of other, you know, it, it's a great form of meditation because mm -hmm. uh, really all there is in all of your consciousness is the unfolding moment of now. Mm -hmm. You know, there's whatever is happening, but like at the deeper points when you're more asleep, they can get a little bit more narrative, like maybe snippets of, of a narrative experience. But a lot of times it's not it's just this whirling free association. 
And so you don't have self and other really. All there is is like the consciousness. And all there is is this swirling unfolding of whatever arises in your mind. So that's an extraordinary state to be able to track. Yeah. And I found like more to that point that I find maybe the things that I learn in lucid dreaming tend to be a little bit more, yeah, like subject object or, you know, a lesson or something like that. Whereas the things that I glean from hypnagogia, it almost arises like a knowing, like it's just, it dawns on you. You you just kind of know something. You It's like a random image and you know something. I don't know if you've any, if either of you have had that experience, but it's less like, it's less narrative and kind of just comes all at once, sort of. I don't Fully. Know. Yeah. And and actually, um, uh, it's creativity is one is another one of the major major things. And mm-hmm. I was just talking about the those four states. And in a normal like talker workshop, when I'm going blah blah blah, as opposed to this where we're talking about practice, which I love doing. But mm-hmm. you know, if I'm like giving a talker workshop, I have a part of the talker workshop in which I describe these four states and you know whatever. Um, and I actually came up with that part of the talk in hypnagogia when it became apparent to me what was happening and how I needed to write that. That's awesome. That's so funny. I had an identical experience writing Head Trip. I would deliberately mine hypnagogia for ideas about the book. Some of them that came up through there were completely terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And some of them were totally awesome. But but to speak to both your points and, uh, you know, the sense of arriving, sometimes I think about the difference between as a kind of horizontal mind and a kind of vertical mind Yeah, that there's the horizontal mind of a kind of rational progression. There's even the horizontal mind of something that's a little more free associative, but then there's the vertical mind. That's just the pure thing that just arrives unbidden. It comes up and it's kind of like the pure out of the source, pure creativity, Mm -hmm. the idea that comes from completely left field. And this is of course why people use hypnagogia for problem solving because they're, they're, they're in this single track all the time or men, many tracks, but they're in this yeah. kind of linear track of waking consciousness. And that has a particular rigidity to it. You know, it, it kind of crowds out whatever else might material might be there. But as that thins out and gets looser, then now there's space for these sort of like vertical intercessions, you know, to kind of emerge up and yeah. pop and arrive in our experience. Yeah. And like, okay, I have an experience of that that I, I want to share with you guys to get your, I've always wanted to know what what other people who are into this think of this experience. But I was, this is, it's a hypnopompia kind of experience. I was waking up and it was like six in the morning. And I just had this image of a friend of mine's face. And we're like, not even close friends. I hadn't seen her for years, but I saw her face and she looked sad. And I immediately had this, I just knew that her father had died. And I was like, I woke up and I was like, like, while I was still in the hypnopompia, I was like, oh, I should tell her her dad is dead. And then I woke up and I was like, well, that was weird. That was just a dream. And I found out two days later that her dad had died around that exact time in the morning. Classic. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, but I don't tell people that because they're like, don't start thinking that you're psychic. (laughs) Now we're going into that. Right. Yeah. But I'm really interested to hear you guys are the experts, you know, tell me about it. When it comes to the space of belief, I am neither a believer nor a disbeliever as a general yeah. rule. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, um, I take experiences at, at what their value is. Mm-hmm. Um, just the fact that it's experience. Um, this, the only experience of this sort that I myself have ever had was in a hypnagogic dream on a lawn in London dreaming that my cat had died and my cat mm-hmm. across the world in Buffalo, New York did in fact die around Aww. that time. Yeah. It's often around uh, death and people's deaths that yeah. those, those weird experiences happen. But there's a, there's a really strong correlation around liminal dream space and death. And no I question. had this actually really amazing experience when my, my very beloved aunt, who was my godmother, we were very close and um, she died. And so I did deathbed, you know, and, and sat with her during her dying and, you know, helped mm-hmm. take care of her. And after she had, had no longer had any more waking consciousness in her life and before she got to a place where she was just sort of gone, you know, a week or so before she actually died, she mm-hmm. went through this this period of a week or two where she was in hypnagogia and I immediately recognized it because, you know, wow. that's my work. And she was mm-hmm. like... You know, I'm, she was with Ziggy Stardust at the mall with her neighbors and their talking dogs. And, you know, and, and my family's like, no, Robin, you're not at the mall with Ziggy Stardust. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yes, so tell me. <laughs> because, I mean, I've had, I've had conversations with people who are in hypnagogia. You can talk to people in hypnagogia sometimes mm-hmm. and they'll respond. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a nonlinear conversation. And then I, um, 
I much later found out that actually the guy who was the director of the hospice where she died in Buffalo, New York, super coincidentally, is a guy who does this work, Dr. Christopher Kerr, um, about the fact that dying people are often in hypnagogia. Wow. You know, it's the, you know, it's the space. That's interesting. My friend uh, Patricia Pearson wrote a book about dying and she did have a whole chapter on this, the kind of dreamlike space that dying people seem to often go mm. preceding death and, and often talking about going on a trip. And it's like, yes. it's already kind of yeah. like they, they start to, like, but they'll, in this literal way, they'll pack a bag, you know, they'll be like, oh, I have my ticket. I got to get my train ticket. And Absolutely. it's sort of like that, that all that starts to seep into their life. And um, it's really interesting. And I think, you know, boy, howdy, if there's a lot of reasons to, um, to try uh, to, you know, gain some facility with liminal dreaming, but preparation for death is a darn good one. Absolutely. And that's in the Tibetan tradition, that's the entire dream yoga process, right? You're practicing every night for the actual journey to wherever. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Bardo takeoff. Yeah. Right. Again, the in-between worlds, you know, liminal liminal comes from the Latin limen, like a doorway Mm. or a threshold. It's neither both here nor there, neither awake nor sleep, both awake and asleep. And these liminal zones like Bardo is is liminal zone. Yeah. Mm. I feel like uh, just, uh, Tasha, I wanted to circle back to your thing. Like, I just wanted to say that when I wrote Head Trip, I got so many emails about people describing similar yeah. experiences in in consciousness more generally, but definitely in dreams and in hypnagogia. Me too. That are, and it's it's really interesting, you know, and you, I tend to have a, a outlook similar to Jennifer. It's like, if they're meaningful as experiences, then they're meaningful. Mm-hmm. But from the point of view of consciousness, I mean, it points to the big mystery of everything, you know? Absolutely. You can believe we're separate in this isolated places and over here, and or you can believe that it's all part of one thing. And if you believe that, which, you know, I basically do, then, you know, all bets are off <laughs> yeah. in terms of a lot more becomes possible, but they, they do seem to be sort of more rare experiences. And certainly it's interesting to. Yeah. Uh, and I, we don't yeah. have a, a culture that, you know, really encourages even talking about people having experiences like that. And so sometimes I wonder if people felt more comfortable talking about it, would more people have experiences like that? You know, you'd, I think yeah. the answer is definitely yes. Yeah. And I yeah. had the same thing as Jeff, you know, when, uh, you know, after my book came out and I mean, and there's a, there's a chapter in the book about, you know, death, about liminal dreaming and death and, and the psychopomp and the shamanic journey between the worlds. And I too, both, you know, I got a lot of emails and then, you know, in classes and workshops or whatever, I had people come up and so often it was around somebody's death. Mm. It was around, well, I, I, you know, I knew this person had died or this person came to say goodbye to me or things along that line. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, Jennifer, about, um, you have a great discussion in your book around the kind of knowing that dream knowing is or that imaginal knowing is you know that it's a that it itself is a kind of sensing you could say um and i wonder if you could say a little bit about how you think about that absolutely so the the doorway into liminal dreaming is imagination right so what kind of happens as you're going into it or often the first thing that that happens is that your your imagination kind of kicks in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then your imagination is open while you're slipping into this state. You know, the, the Sifis actually thought that imagination was as much of a faculty of perception as seeing, hearing, touching, whatever. And in their mind, because the only way to perceive the, the highest divine is through imagination, it's actually the most important sense. You know, I mean, the world is in a feedback loop with us and our imagination. And for example, right now, imagine walking from where you live to the closest store. Mm -hmm. And if you were giving me that map and somebody who lives next door to you was giving you that map, you might say, well, you know, past the, the church on the left, and then there's the garden where there's, you know, big sunflowers and, um, you know, the red house with the barking dog and somebody else might say, oh yeah, well, you know, past the big oak tree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, so it's like what we see in the world and what we're experiencing is in some part made of imagination, Yeah, you know, that there's, there's a feedback loop. And so imagination really is this, it's really determining a lot of what we see 
you know, what we understand. I don't want to go too far into the new age, you create your own reality, because if you live in a war-torn world or, you know, have abusive childhood or whatever, you did not, you know, create that. But that said, your experience is going to determine how you perceive the world Mm -hmm. and, you know, and what the world is. And so your imagination really is a perception. It's kind of like the entre chien et loup, which is the French idea of at the liminal zone of um, sunset, you can't tell if something is a dog or a wolf, whether it's it's a safe thing or a dangerous thing, Yeah, you know? Well, I love this point and I love the way you, uh, I love bringing it to imagination this way because traditionally when people talk about the science of perception, they'll say, yeah, there's top down, there's kind of what we're seeing in the moment with our senses, but that's being shaped by our history, by our memories, by our expectations, but it's always put out in this sort of, it's presented in this very dry way. But the way you're presenting it is really interesting that it's like that that the world as it's occurring in this moment is continually being shaped with this inner process that's extremely creative and rich and imaginative and moving and informed by all sorts of things beyond just some dry sense of um, you know a linear A to B of where we were. Because I mean the 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 human underground is vast in many directions. And so this is a much more interactive and rich and mysterious and juicy kind of presentation, I feel like. And it feels like, you know, that we're using the term liminal. It's like so many people imagine that liminal is in between states, but the liminalness is also in between us and everything else. You know, it's spatial as much as it is linear. Yeah, that's great. And it actually, um, uh, when I was, you know, in my young 20s, I think I read this essay by Aristotle called On Dreams. Yeah, and, I that too. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and, and, and it blew my mind. And a lot of, a lot of this uh, kind of comes from, comes out of that, you know, and basically what Aristotle is saying is like, you, you see things, you hear things, you have these kinds of perceptions, you see a dog running and hear a bell ringing. And then those things go into your inner universe. And that most of the time you're like when your intellect, dreams, you know, ideas, memory, all of this stuff isn't actually you interacting with the outer world. It's you interacting with your version mm-hmm. of the world, with your imagination, your imagined yeah. version of the world out there. And that's really mostly what we're doing. So it's it's a great way of sort of understanding how you're moving through the world. It's interesting. It reminds me, I, I recognize we're kind of getting down to short strokes here in terms of time, but just as a one aside, like I remember one time, Jennifer, a years and years ago, we were chatting and you were telling me about this amazing practice that you had where you would have a dream and it would, the next morning it would be with you and you would kind of think about some of the details and write a few of them down. So it was fresh with you. And then you would go and you would place the dream somewhere in the city. Uh, in San Francisco, where you, where you still live, like you would, you would look in some, and if this is my, I'm paraphrasing, so you, you can obviously explain it better if you like, but you would say, may see a street, see a street corner and be like, oh yeah, that sign, the way that sign rolls like a wave, that's kind of like the ocean part of my dream. And this cornice over here in this building is sort of like the whale in my dream. And this feeling of sudden heat that I had is like the red car right there or whatever it is. And you kind of place the elements into the, uh, the, 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 the real quote waking world. And then having done that for years, your experience as you would walk through the city is you'd be walking through the sort of landscape of both the city and your dreams. Cause there's so many dreams that you would place. So, cool. so really remixing these two forms of consciousness and creating this other thing. I just thought this was the greatest idea ever and experience ever. Like consciously taking the wall down between them. Yeah, exactly. Using the city as a dream journal in a way. And the way that you t- described it, Jeff, is great. And using those sort of bite-sized pieces of dream um, in um, and placing them along architecture or you know trees or whatever, so that the sweep of my eye across it would be the the narrative of the dream from beginning and end. That's so yeah, so it's cool. great because it'll be like I'm walking down the street. Oh, yeah, I got to buy some tomatoes. Gee, I really should call my mother. Oh yeah, there's that. There's that weird dream. Oh right, you know we're actually in it. And yeah, I started it when I lived in New York and did it there, mm. and then moved to San Francisco and did it here. I still do that. And what was the effect of that? Of like walking, of having done that. What would you? How did it affect how you you know your experience? Well, for one thing, my relationship with my, and it's all within my neighborhood, within the confines of what I think of as my own neighborhood, which is pretty urban. Um, For one thing, I have a way more intimate relationship with 
uh, with my neighborhood, you know, where, where I really look at places and I notice the changes and I, because I really look at them. Um, mm-hmm. It serves as dream journal um, because I really remember everything. And then just like Tasha said, it really breaks down those barriers, you know, where I, I can be, you know, suddenly in the space of the dream outside of my dry cleaner, you know, because there is there is a dream that goes over top of my dry cleaner, which is the one you're sort of remembering, Jeff, with the whales. That's so great. You know, and and it's and it is it's this wonderful confusion of of the liminal of being like thrown back into this like being in both spaces simultaneously. That's awesome. I'm gonna start doing that like immediately. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> There's so much we could just I know. <laughs> barely describe the service here. We're just going to have to get you to come on again and do a different kind of practice. And we'll maybe we'll do who knows what. There's there's so much to talk about here. But um, maybe as a place to, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything that you feel like you need to say or you want to say that hasn't been talked about that's important. And then maybe just leave folks with a little bit of information about you where they can find your book or your website or whatever you, you got going on out there. Okay, I am going to pitch in one more thing. Is it's uh, it's a great way to go into the visionary, like Jungian active imagination, going into hyp- hypnagogia, mm-hmm. coming out, doing something creative, going back in, coming out, because it really uh, does um, sidestep nor- northern like your normal patterns of thinking and can mm-hmm. open you up to these amazing experiences. So for for visionary experience and creativity fantastic <laughs> peerless <laughs> two thumbs up the <laughs> hypnagogic state peerless for visionary experience and creativity Sold. come Take back again money. soon <laughs> oh my gosh i hope i i hope that creeps into my dream tonight I have these, like, <laughs> standing in the corner of my hypnagogia pitching me on it <laughs> um the deets yeah um, where can we find you I, I tweet a dream a day, and I've been doing that for 11 years Whoa! on Twitter Wow! as Onerifer, O-N-E-I-R-O-F-E-R. Um, and then I have a lot of websites. You can, you can, you can start anywhere. Um, you can go to uh, probably the easiest to remember here is liminaldreaming.com. Um, I have many websites that are all cobbled together like bad additions on a house. So you can get to any of them from any of them. Like so liminal, yeah, exactly. So, so liminaldreaming.com is probably the best place. And you know, when I'm, I'm terrible at doing things like uploading my talks and, but some of them are there. And of course that's the uh, name of the book too. Liminal dreaming, exploring consciousness at the edges of sleep. This was so awesome. This is like a thing that was very near and dear to my heart. So it's awesome to talk to such an expert on the topic. I have really enjoyed this immensely and I look forward to uh, seeing you in the liminal realms. Thanks for tuning in to the Consciousness Explorers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this episode, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. See you next week for a whole new adventure. 